Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome to or welcome back to my YouTube channel. If you're new here, I upload true crime videos like this one every Sunday, although sometimes also on other days of the week. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, then be sure to hit that subscribe button and tick that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime video. In today's episode, we'll explore a tale of murder for hire, cover-ups and affairs. Let's discuss the case of Jane Bashara. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. Before we delve deep into this case, I'd just like to thank Magellan TV for sponsoring this episode. I'm sure you've heard on Magellan TV before, especially on my channel, and it's not without good reason. Magellan TV is my absolute go-to for all of my documentary needs. With a wide range of documentaries from space, nature to true crime, and with full care at no extra cost, it's the perfect place to wind down after a long day while still learning something new. Magellan TV actually adds between 15 to 20 hours of brand new content every single week, so if you're worried about running out of true crime content to watch, worry no more. I've just watched Northwest Killer. The documentary is a story of one of the worst killing sprees in South African history. Several bodies were discovered within a small area. All of them were couples who were kidnapped, raped, and then shot. When a taxi driver is arrested with a gun found in his possession matching the bullets at the crime scene, he is charged with murder. What would drive someone to commit a crime as heinous as this? Be sure to use the link at the top of the description or the link in the pinned comments and use your one month free trial to go watch Northwest Killer and once you've finished it, dive deep into Magellan TV's extensive true crime collection. As I said before, new documentaries like Northwest Killer are added to Magellan TV weekly, so do not sleep on this offer. Grab your one month free trial using the links below and thank you to Magellan TV for constantly supporting this channel and making content like this video possible. Now, Back to the case. Jane Ellen Bashara was born in Mount Clemens, Michigan on the 22nd of June 1955 to parents John and Lorraine Engelbrecht. Jane attended Mount St. Clemens High School where she was a great student and always had lots of friends surrounding her. She was the oldest of her three siblings, her younger siblings being called Janet, Julie and John, and together they were a very close-knit family unit. This closeness continued throughout their childhood and into their adult lives. The siblings would regularly vacation together and they truly enjoyed being in each other's company. Jane went on to obtain a bachelor's and a master's degree in business administration from Central Michigan University and the University of Detroit Mercy. And by 2012, Jane was working as a marketing manager at KEMA or Kema Services in Detroit, Michigan. She was very good at her job, which earned her a healthy six-figure income. She was well-liked amongst her co-workers and was always helpful around the office. Jane was married to 55-year-old Robert Bashara, otherwise known as Bob, to his friends and family, and they had met some 26 years earlier. Robert Bob Michael Bashara was born on the 12th of December 1957 to parents George and Suzanne Bashara. George Bashara, Bob's father, was a Michigan Court of Appeals judge, which made the Bashara family very prominent and well-respected in the local area. At the time, George was actually the youngest state appeals court judge in Michigan history at the age of 38. 
This meant that Bob grew up with money, privilege, and always lived in affluent areas. The whole family attended St. Michael's Church regularly, and Bob had a good childhood, surrounded by his parents and siblings. Whilst Bob was two years younger than Jane, he had been the sole provider for their family for a long time before Jane obtained her marketing job, and from the outside, was the perfect husband. Bob was a successful businessman who owned and managed many rental properties in the area, and that was his full-time job. The couple were prominent members of the Gross Point community. Bob was the president of the local Rotary Club, known by many as Big Bob. Jane was always involved in the community and in the local church. Jane and Bob had two children, a daughter called Jessica and a son called Robert Jr. They seemed like the perfect all-American family, the family that everyone wished they could be. Jane had been heavily involved in her children's school, where she had served as the president of the Gross Point South High School Mothers Club. In 2012, their son had become an industrial engineer, and he lived out of state, and their daughter had been a sophomore at the University of Michigan. Bob was a well-respected businessman in the city and was known as a philanthropist within the Gross Point community, always willing to lend a helping hand. Because of the economic downturn and the fact that their children were getting older and more independent, Jane decided that it would be best for her to go back to work. Prior to this, she had been a stay-at-home mum, and so she thought that it would give her something to do, whilst also bringing in more money for the family. She knew she would easily be able to find work because of her previous experience and her professional qualifications. After her return to work, Jane became the breadwinner for the family, as Bob's rental property business had suffered greatly during the recession. Jane's marketing job was reliable and didn't depend on other people paying their rent. This made Jane's earnings the most reliable within the family. Before 2012, the Basharas had strains on their marriage involving infidelity and Bob's apparent erectile dysfunction, plus Bob's interest in certain sexual activities that Jane didn't want to take part in. The couple seemed to be perfect from the outside, but behind closed doors, things were stilted and frosty. You see, with Jane not being interested in BDSM practices, Bob decided to go elsewhere to be a part of that lifestyle without her participation. According to court records, he frequently attended events with other people who were interested and involved in the local BDSM community, and Bob initiated and entered into intimate relations with numerous other women who were in that community. And in 2008, Bob found himself involved in a serious relationship with a woman that we'll call Martha for the purposes of identity protection. It must be noted that Bob did have further intimate relations with other women that he had met online between 2008 and 2012, while still married to Jane and while calling Martha his girlfriend. During Bob's first encounters with women that he'd met from online websites, he would present himself as being either divorced or widowed. It wouldn't be until later that those women would learn that Bob was actually still married and his wife was very much alive. When they did find that out, he would tell them that he and Jane were separated and that they were going to get a divorce. And one of those women, the woman who he would call his girlfriend, Martha, would actually break things off with Bob multiple times due to the fact that he had still been married and didn't seem to want to do anything about it. Martha and Bob met through online dating profiles on alt.com in 2008. 
When they first met, Bob told Martha that his wife had died and that he was a widower who was trying to move on. While this relationship wasn't the first time Bob had been unfaithful, it was the one that hurt the most. The relationship between Martha and Bob was the first affair that Bob had that seemed to mean something to him. They had labelled themselves as boyfriend and girlfriend, and had even began talks about living together. Once the relationship started getting more serious, Bob came clean that he had a wife, but he assured Martha that they were getting divorced and she had nothing to worry about. He went to great lengths to ensure that Martha believed he wanted to spend his life with her and that she was the one for him. Jane and Bob, in previous years, had gone to marriage counselling, but by this point, the marriage seemed beyond repair. According to Bob Bashara, their marriage had evolved into an open marriage as neither of them wanted to deal with the financial strain of a divorce. During his affairs, Bob became an avid member of the BDSM community. He and Martha were in a dom and sub relationship, which often included other women. Bob was so invested in this lifestyle that he turned the basement of one of the buildings he owned into a sex dungeon. He would host parties for the community to enjoy, and Bob was well known by everyone as Master Bob. Over the course of their three-year relationship, Martha and Bob often spent time in the Bashara home while Jane and the kids were away. Bob told Martha that he wasn't going to be able to keep the house after the divorce, so they had decided to start looking for a house that they could buy together. Towards the end of 2011, Bob and Martha started looking for a house they could afford as soon as the divorce was finalised. And ultimately, a seller actually accepted Bob and Martha's offer on a home in Gross Point Park. A closing date was set for this new home for the 27th of January 2012. It's important to note that Bob had told the real estate agents that he had been divorced by this point. And it was at around this same time that Bob and Martha also began looking for a third person to join their relationship and live with them in the new house. Bob and Martha started speaking with another woman, who we'll call Agatha, between November of 2011 and January of 2012. And they began to make it known to Agatha that they wanted her to live with them in the house after the purchase had gone through by the end of January of 2012. Despite the seriousness of the relationship between Martha and Bob, Jane decided to stay in the marriage as, quote, if she got a divorce, she would lose her house, at least half of her 401k, end up a 55-year-old single woman living in a condo with no retirement, no savings, and bad credits. At least, that's what Bob claimed. Also in the fall of 2011, Bob met a man called Joseph Gens, who needed housing and employment, and Gens had got in touch with Bob as he had hoped Bob would help him out. Gens would later be described as someone who exhibited mental disabilities, a fact that we'll kind of touch on later on. What we do know is that with help from Bob, Gens did actually secure an apartment and had began renting from one of Bob's friends. Bob and Gens remained fairly close to one another and remained in continuous contact via telephone in the months that followed. On the morning of Tuesday the 24th of January 2012, Jane Bashara left her family home in Gross Point to start her usual working day. Her working week always started early, and due to her commutes, she had to leave the house at 5.30am to arrive in the city in time for work. Jane had gone into the heart of the city to attend a meeting that wasn't at her office that morning. She returned to her office at around 4pm after the meeting had ended. During the day, she had spoken to Bob, letting him know that she would be home later that day after she'd finished work. 
Bob arrived home at 8pm that evening, expecting Jane to have already been at home. So when Jane failed to return that evening, Bob grew concerned. After an hour had passed and Jane still hadn't shown up, Bob began calling numerous family members and friends to find out whether they had heard from her. He thought that she had perhaps gone out to run an errand and not thought to leave a note or something like that. Eventually, Bob found out that the last person to have heard from Jane had been her daughter, Jessica. Jane and Jessica had been on the phone while Jane drove home from work at around 4.45pm. When Jane pulled up to the house, she told Jessica that she would call her back once she was settled back in the house. Jane would never speak to her daughter or anybody else ever again. Jessica assumes that Jane had simply become busy doing things around the house and had forgotten to call her back. The last people to see Jane in person had been her co-workers at Kima Services. As I mentioned previously, Jane had been seen at around 4pm at the Kima offices after a meeting in downtown Detroit. Nothing appeared to be amiss with Jane at that point when she was seen, and she continued on with her day like she normally would. Cell phone records, which would later be investigated, showed that between 4.40pm and 6.26pm, Jane's phone had been connected to a cell phone mast in the area around her house, which is what you'd expect. Though it further detailed of how Jane's phone began to move away from the family home and into Detroit from around 6.30pm onwards. The final cell phone master records show that from 8.42pm onwards, her phone had been connected to a cell phone mast in Detroit. Further, her cell phone records details that after 5pm, all the calls made on Jane's cell phone had been incoming calls. At around 11.30pm, when nobody could tell Bob where his wife was, he decided to phone the police and express his concern that Jane was missing, as she had failed to meet him at home at a designated time to apparently discuss their taxes. Unfortunately, according to the authorities, not enough time had passed for the police to get involved with Jane's missing case. It's interesting to take a look at the Michigan State public information surrounding missing persons. According to their website, quote, depending on the policy of the police department, you may be asked to wait a sufficient amount of time, 24 to 72 hours, before they will take your report. This should not apply to missing juveniles, missing elderly persons, or persons suspected to be a victim of foul play. Now, I did try to locate any public online information from Gross Point Park Police Department, but I was unable to find anything that clarified their policies surrounding missing persons. We need only take a look at Detroit's policies on missing persons to get an idea of what their policy may have been. Quote, In general, no missing report shall be taken concerning persons 21 years of age and older until the person has been gone at least 24 hours, except in unusual circumstances of incompetence, senility, evidence of foul play, or other factors which may be taken into consideration. The report shall then be taken irrespective of the time. Just as a side note, I strongly urge that you familiarize yourself with your local law, like local police stations and local laws surrounding the reporting of missing persons. In most places, you do not have to wait any time if you suspect um, something to be amiss, if you suspect that somebody has gone missing, um, not on their own accord. Always, always please play on, be on the safe side. As soon as you think somebody's missing, go to the authorities and they will tell you 
just go straight to the authorities. Despite this setback, Bob continued to call the police, his friends and family for the remainder of the night, looking for any information regarding the whereabouts of his wife. The following morning, on Wednesday the 25th of January 2012, the police arrived at the door of Bob Bashara's home. When Bob first saw the police, he expected them to be following up on his calls from the previous night. He was hoping that they were after more information on his wife so they could start the search into Jane's whereabouts. Unfortunately for Bob, this was not the reason for the police's visit. They notified Bob that Jane's body had been found in the back seat of her Mercedes down an alley in downtown Detroit. Her body had been found by a tow truck driver at 7am while he was patrolling downtown Detroit for stolen vehicles. There had been no other information found on how she'd ended up dead in a car at that time, but the police needed to tell Bob so that they could try to come up with a timeline of events for their investigations. When the police notified Bob of this horrific news, some of the officers noted that Bob didn't exhibit, quote, a lot of reaction or emotions. His reactions were apparently slow and he didn't have the normal reaction that they were expecting from a man who had just found out his wife had died. Despite this seemingly slow reaction, Bob did eventually start crying and trying to get answers from the police about what had happened. Some family members who were already at the house to try and figure out where Jane had gone refuted the police's statement about Bob being emotionless. They claimed that the shock of hearing your wife was dead would upset anyone, and it was just the shock of the news that made him seem emotionless. Just as a quick side note, you cannot expect everybody to, regardless of, you know, the context of this case, but you cannot expect everyone to react to grief and news in the same manner as you know, everyone deals with grief differently. Everyone reacts to that kind of news differently. You cannot expect everyone to follow the same pattern of what to do when you find out this information, you know what I mean? I think it's a bit blindsided from the investigators or at least those police officers to um, use this as a point of like suspicion from the fact that he didn't react when told about his wife being being murdered. I think that's that's just a bit dumb kind of because like as his family say he could have been shocked people process emotions completely differently and that's people who you know neurotypical people neurodivergent people process things differently everyone processes things differently so i just think it's very very blindsided for the officers to have thought that was suspicious that bob initially was not really reacting that much but you know he did react like after after it sunk in like it's just shock really his family rallied around bob and helped him through the initial shock and grief that came with the news of jane's death the shock news quickly spread through the local gross point community as well as the bashara's family and friends interestingly that day gents who was the man that bob had helped find a place to rent and work was actually seen with $800 or $900 in cash, which he used to purchase a brand new expensive cell phone. And that evening, on Wednesday the 25th of January 2012, a candlelight visual was held on a lawn at Gross Point South High School. The minister from the church the Basharas attended led the gathering in prayer, and while Bob Bashara attended the vigil, he didn't speak. Now, the day after Jane's body had been found, Thursday the 26th of January, an autopsy was performed on her so the police could determine the cause of death. And after the medical examiner concluded that Jane's death had been homicide, Bob Bashara became one of the main suspects in her case. 
Jane had bruises all over her body, as well as broken fingernails, and this told the police all they really needed to know. Jane had fought for her life. The official cause of Jane's death was strangulation, but the medical examiner also confirmed that Jane had sustained multiple blunt force traumas. This confirmed to the police that Jane had been beaten before she died. This left the investigators with one major question. Who had done this to Jane? After all, Jane was an outstanding citizen and she had an affluent reputation in Gross Point, so who would want to harm her? On that same day as the autopsy, Bob was seen dropping an envelope addressed to Jensoff at the thrift store where Jens volunteered. And Bob told the woman that he'd given this envelope to, uh, so that she could pass it on to Jens, that the envelope contained payment for a job. On Friday the 27th of January, Bob was asked by the police to take a polygraph test while he was being interviewed about the days leading up to Jane's murder. While Bob had been at the police station, more police went to the Bashara home, armed the search warrant to remove computers and take photographs and find any evidence. Now, after the polygraph test had concluded and the search of his house had concluded, Bob Bashara was actually named a person of interest in his wife's death. It's unclear what the exact results of the polygraph examination were, but as I've said many, many times before, polygraph um, exam, a lie detector test, it's admissible in a court of law for a reason. They're usually just used as an intimidation technique uh, during interrogations. Um, but I'm, I couldn't quite distinguish solidly what the results of that uh, test were, what they claimed them to be, or kind of the evidence that they had actually found at um, the Bashara home that led them to believe that he was responsible. Now, as you can imagine, the media jumped on this and subsequently Jane's death was splashed across multiple media outlets. Jane's sister Janet said that, quote, I keep seeing my sister's beautiful face flash across the TV screen. I know it's important because it will help find out who did this to her, but this is just shattering. The police began to take a closer look at what Bob had been doing in the lead up to and following the murder of his wife, Jane. Investigators learned that on the 20th of January, 2012, Martha, remember Bob's girlfriend, who was having the affair with and was buying a house with, Martha had sent Bob an email requesting to see divorce papers as she wanted to be sure that Bob was actually divorced before signing the financial documents to purchase the home with him. And as it turns out, three days later, after Bob had received that email from Martha, on the same day that his wife Jane would be murdered, Bob went into the real estate agent's office to pick up the closing packet for the new house at about 3 p.m. And Bob had brought with him a conditional certificate of occupancy that had been dated for the day before. Bear in mind that Jane and Bob hadn't got a divorce at all at this point. There weren't even proceedings going like going forward. Like no solicitors were informed, no lawyers were brought in. Like it wasn't on the it wasn't even on the table. Regardless, the new house was scheduled to close on Friday the 27th of January 2012. At about 5pm on the day of Jane's murder, one of the real estate agents called Bob to ask him if he wanted to do a final walkthrough of the house before the actual closing, to which Bob agreed to and he arranged to do a final walkthrough on the day of closing at 2pm on January the 27th. This was despite the fact that at that point there had been no financing in place to actually purchase the new house, but the real estate agents thought the deal was going to close regardless of this lack of financial documentation for their home. Bob had reassured the estate agents, um, I'm saying estate agents because that's what they call them here in Britain, but they're called realtors in America, but Bob had reassured them um, and told them not to worry about the money as he claims he had most of it and was going to get the rest before closing. 
On the evening of Jane's murder, Bob maintained that he had been working at his rental properties or that he had been at the Hard Look Lounge for the entire evening. And this was corroborated, as after 5.15pm that evening, Bob was seen on several different occasions at several different times at the Hard Look Lounge, which had been located on the first floor of one of his rental properties, or some other accounts show that he'd been seen outside that apartment complex itself. Though the investigators further learned that Bob had gone home at some point during that evening and he had stopped briefly at home to pick up some keys at some point. Bob's cell phone records corroborated his account, showing his phone using the cell phone towers that serviced the Hard Look Lounge between 4.52pm and 5.20pm. However, at about 6.26pm, Bob's phone and Jane's phone both pings the same cell phone tower close to their home. And at about 6.26 or 6.28 p.m., both of their phones began to move away from the area of their home. Jane's phone began to move north, and Bob's phone also began to move, though it soon connected to a cell phone tower close to the Harlock Lounge. On the 28th of January 2012, Bob's attorney delivered a letter to the investigators that identified Joseph Goetz, which was a misspelling of gents, as a possible suspect due to Bob's accounts of him having a threatening or bothersome interaction with Joseph shortly before Jane's murder. When the authorities looked into these accounts, numerous individuals, including Bob's girlfriend Martha, testified that they had never heard Bob mention that Joseph Gents had been threatening or had been harassing him in the days leading up to the murder. On Tuesday the 31st of January at 10.30am, Jane's funeral was held at Gross Point Memorial Church. Hundreds of people showed up to pay their respects to Jane, from her co-workers to her close friends and family. Later that same day, Joseph Gentz walked into the Gross Point Park police station and he told the authorities that he killed Jane Bashara because Bob Bashara had asked him to. Gents was initially released from custody without being charged due to insufficient evidence, as well as reports of him having a low IQ. Gents had been tested and he scored between 69 and the low 70s on his IQ test. The authorities learnt that Gents had also done some part-time work for Bob as a handyman. Quote, he did some yard work out back. He had met Jane out in the back, Bashara had said. She brought us iced tea one day while we were cleaning up some shrubbery and preparing the backyard for winter. When Bob Bashara heard about Gents' involvement in Jane's death, he spoke out to the media saying, quote, I think my children, for my family, and yes, for me, I would like to know who is responsible and make them pay, to be punished within our legal system. It would mean a lot to me. It would bring closure to this whole thing because, like my sister said, I've been named a person of interest and people have pointed the finger at me. Bob clearly hadn't been told at that point that Gents was saying that he killed Jane on his orders. Bob and Jane's friends and family were shocked and disgusted that Gents would hand himself over to the police but make up these lies about a grieving husband. Like I said earlier in the case, to the outside world, Jane and Bob's marriage seemed perfect. Neither of them had discussed their problems with their family or friends, so, so the idea that there was any animosity between the Bisharis was preposterous. Nearly a month after Gents was released from the police custody, on Friday the 2nd of March, he was arrested in connection with Jane Bashara's murder. He was arrested after he admitted that he'd turned up at the Bashara's house when he was angry because Bob hadn't paid him for two handyman jobs he had done for him. According to Gents, he arrived at the house at around 7pm as that was a time he was expecting it to be empty. His plan was to break in and steal something that was worth of equal or more value than the money Bob had owed him. 
As Jens was searching in the garage of the house, Jay and Bashara entered the room and were shocked to find him rummaging through their belongings. Spooked by Jane's arrival, Jens then wrapped his hands around her neck while she struggled to get away. Because of how much Jane was struggling, Jens hit her over the head with a heavy object and she then lost consciousness. Jens thought that Jane was faking being unconscious, so grabbed her tighter around the neck until she fell completely still. He then placed her body inside the back seat of her Mercedes and drove the car back to downtown Detroit, leaving her body in the car in the alley. Jens wrote and signed an affidavit documenting what had happened that night between himself and Jane Bashara. During his trial, Jens stated that Bob Bashara had nothing to do with the murder of his wife, Jane, but he also said that the police had coached him on what to say in court. Joseph Jens pleaded guilty to the first degree murder of Jane Bashara, as well as conspiracy charges. He was sentenced to 28 years in prison with parole after 17 years for her murder. While Bob and his family and friends were happy now that Jane's killer was behind bars, the police knew that there was more to the story, and they were right. After Jens was arrested for Jane's murder, Robert Bashara, Bob, tried to hire someone to kill Jens in prison. He started asking around for anyone who would be able to, quote, deal with a tenant of his who was causing him trouble. The police ended up getting a tip into this weird questioning that Bob was asking and decided to lay a trap. This was perfect. The police were already suspicious of Bob's involvement in his wife's murder, and now there he was asking for strange requests. So on Tuesday the 19th of June 2012, a man called Steve Tabaldo, a local furniture store owner who was known to Bob, was given a recording device by the Michigan State Police. Tabaldo was given this recording device because Bob had reached out to him privately and asked him if he was able to do some, quote, dirty work for him. In the recording, Tabaldo said Bob Bashara patted him down. Quotes, he asked me if I was wearing a wire. I said, it's against my religion to wear a wire. I'm Sicilian. In one section of the audio, Bashara is heard saying, so are we set, about getting this thing um, taken care of. Tabaldo asked, who, gents? Bashara replied, yeah, you arrange it. Steve, I'm serious. Something's got to happen in the next two weeks. Those recordings were exactly what the police needed. They now had clear evidence that Bob was trying to plan the murder of Joseph Jens. And so in June of 2012, Bob Bishara was charged on solicitation of murder. During his trial, Bob was questioned about his relationship with Jens, how they knew each other, if Jens was close with Jane, and whether he was involved with Jane's death. In the trial, Bob said, quotes, I'm going to get through this. You know as well as I do, they walked me right into that. I was a damn fool. I should have just walked away from that guy, but I'm here serving my time. By the end of the trial, Bob pled guilty to solicitation of murder charges and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. Unfortunately, this is not where the case ends. While in prison, Joseph Jentz heard about the trial of Bob Bishara's attempt to get him killed in prison. This news angered Jentz, so he decided to go to the police again and come clean to what really happened to Jane that night. Jentz told the police that he had only killed Jane because Bob had told him that he would pay him. He alleged that between August 2011 and January 2012, Bob had asked several people if they had been aware of anyone who could, quote, rough up, take care of, run over or t-bone a female tenant who was quote making his life miserable it had been around that same time that gents had asked friends if they would be willing to assist him with a quote hit and run job for his friend bob who wanted his wife killed in exchange for a few thousand dollars and a cadillac 
During those conversations with his friends, Gents relayed details about Bob's wife, including the facts that she had been a high-level executive who worked in downtown Detroit, the time that she left work, and the exact routes that she would take home. Gents had mentioned this hit-and-run plan to at least one other friend as well. Further, Gents had told his landlord in January of 2012 that he would be, quote, coming into money in the near future. The Bob Bishara trial started on Tuesday the 7th of October 2014 and lasted for over two months. Gents was asked to take the stand and while he was there, he told the court that Bob was there in the garage as he killed Jane. When Gents was asked about the affidavit that he had signed, he told the court that it was garbage. He said that nothing that was written in the affidavit was true. That night, Jane and Bob had been arguing in the garage, and when it started to get too intense, Bob pulled a gun out on Gents and threatened to kill him if he didn't shut Jane up. After Gents killed Jane, Bob took her purse and threw the contents inside Jane's car with the idea that they would be able to pass her murder off as a robbery gone wrong. Many people were called to the witness stand, one of them being Bob's friend. Now, Bob's friend was one of three witnesses who testified during the trial on behalf of Bob. He was asked whether he had seen Bob on the day that Jane was killed, and he said he had a few drinks with Bob at the Hard Luck Lounge the night of the slaying, but he couldn't remember what time they had left. Despite this statement, Bob didn't have a solid alibi for where he was when Gents killed Jane. And with his attempts at getting Gents killed in prison, as well as the revelation that the affidavit that Gents signed was wrong, Things didn't look like they were going to go well for Bob. In the eyes of the courts, Bob was seeming to be more and more guilty by the second. The jury deliberated on the conviction after having two months of testimonies, which included 74 witnesses and 460 exhibits. On Thursday the 18th of December 2014, Bob Bishara was found guilty of the murder of his wife Jane and was convicted of first-degree murder. Finally, on Thursday the 15th of January 2015, Bob Bishara was sentenced to life without parole by a Wayne County Circuit Court judge. Bob appealed against his convictions in September of 2017, claiming that his rights were violated by an ineffective defence. The judge from the state Supreme Court declined to hear this case from Bob and threw out the appeal, leaving Bob to carry out his life sentence. Finally, on Monday the 17th of August 2020, at the age of 62, Robert Bishara died. Bob had been on dialysis because of liver problems while he was an inmate at Michigan Department of Corrections prison in Whitmore Lake. Jane's sister Julie released this statement in response to his death, quote, I am disappointed he only spent eight years in prison. That is just not long enough for all that he ruined. And that's everything that we have for you in today's case. If you have a case that you want me to cover on my channel, head on over to requestthecase.com and send in your submissions over there. You can also see what other people have submitted and place your votes on what I should cover. So if you don't want to miss out on giving me your input, head on over to requestthecase.com. Make sure to subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime video, just like this one. You don't want to miss out on my live true crime deep dives that we do here on my YouTube channel almost every Saturday at 10pm UK time. This Saturday's deep dive is exploring the horrifying murder of Jenna Burley. You can find a link in the pinned comments. Thank you once again to Magellan TV for sponsoring this episode. Grab your one month free trial using the links below. 
Also, if you want to hang out with a small community of people who like true crime content, be sure to join our Discord server for free. Again, you can find a link to that in the description. A special thank you to my Patreon members and channel members, Bellamethius, Nino Lover, MG, Bailey's Clubhouse, Casey from the Other Side, Michelle Johnston, Sherry L. Bandy, Lady Janice Mimi Fisher, Kirsty, JG, Patricia Luna, Casey Monks, Samantha O'Hara, and Cicely Thomas. If you want to support this channel, get access to monthly case polls, audio versions of my videos, scripts, and more, hit that join button below or go to patreon.com forward slash Josh Miles and become a Patreon or channel member today. With all that being said, I'll see you in the next case. A special thank you to all of my Patreon members for helping keep this channel afloat, but especially thank you to my lead investigators for all of your support. If you'd like to support this channel for less than $5 a month, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash Joshua Miles. If you or someone you know has been affected by issues covered in our programming, including this episode, then please use the link in the description for information, advice, and support.